0: Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table. and It really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore would be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So, A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. We've we've been in this series, Free from the Love of Money, um, for the last few weeks. We launched at the very beginning of January, so kind of the whole month we've been talking about this idea um, that God, through Scripture, has given us principles and practices to help set us free from materialism, consumerism, greed, things like that. And that there's this cycle that if we're not careful, if we're not intentionally divesting ourselves from, we just get caught up in. This cycle of acquisition and consumption, of, of spending and hoarding and saving and more, and, and it, it, it just eats us up, and it just takes over. And a lot of us, like we've said throughout this whole series, if we are not making intentional decisions to not be a part of that, then these decisions are just kind of be made for us, the world that we live in, the way that we've been conditioned, the society around us. And so throughout the last four weeks, I've talked about two principles and two practices um, for intentionally divesting ourselves from this society of consumption and materialism and greed. And... I want to introduce you to Brian Sullivan, this good-looking guy standing next to me. Yeah, you can woo. That's great. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Hey. Sorry. Um, um, Yes. So Brian, he and his family have been putting these principles and practices into place um, for years, and it's been absolutely transformative for them. And Brian is actually a huge reason why I even felt the kind of burden to do this series. Brian and I have been talking about what generosity is and and what intentional divestment from these systems looks like for years. Brian and his wife Violet and their girls have been a part of our church for many, many years. And um, Brian and I have been, you know, having coffee over the years. And I remember the very first time we talked about generosity. And I'm sitting across from Brian. And and, and to be honest with you, like I was raised probably similar to a lot of y'all. I, I talked about this last week. I thought generosity was like, you check that tithe box, like you're good, right? Um, and I'm sitting, I'm talking to Brian. And he's literally like crying over lunch, talking to me about how much generosity has absolutely transformed his life. Last week, I told you that I challenge you to ever meet an unhappy or a not joyful, generous person. Like, they're just not out there. People who are intentionally generous with their time, their resources, um, it it just, it unlocks this beautiful joy. And I'm telling you, I see that, like you just look at that face, like so much joy on that face. And so I asked Brian to kind of close our series out, to come up and talk to us a little bit about what does it look like to put these principles and practices into place in his family? And what has it meant? How has it actually totally transformed his life and his family's life? So I'm going to pray for Brian and then I'm going to turn it over to him. God, I just thank you so much um, for my friend Brian, my brother Brian, my sister Violet, and um, God, I thank you that we get to be a part of the same church family here at Restore and the same part of your greater family, God, the family of God. I'm so grateful for the testimony that he has in his life that he's about to share with us, God. I pray that you would speak through him powerfully as he shares how you have transformed his life through generosity and practices therein, God, that you would just transform our hearts too that this joy that he exudes would be contagious for us. God, that the passion that he speaks with would be taken hold by us and ignite our lives with the same kinds of passion. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Zach. All right, by a show of hands, how many you there in the audience recognize this? Now, if you look really closely, look in the bottom left corner, you'll see... A five-letter word there. For those of you who don't know what Sears Department Store is, (laughs) this, my friends, is the Sears Christmas Wish Book. Now, some of you may be more accustomed back in that time, in the early 90s, to getting your hands on the Toys R Us catalog, right? That equivalent. I see some heads nodding here. But let me tell you, in my family growing up, the Sears Christmas Wish Book, I mean, this was a big deal. All right, this was you know, annually produced around Thanksgiving time. And I remember that thick. At one point, this thing was 600 pages. All right, the Sears Christmas, Christmas book. So it's sitting on my grandmother's table, right, every annual Christmas time. Well, here's the thing about why this image is so prevalent in my mind as I was preparing to share with you today. So when I was five years old, I'm thumbing through one of these Christmas books, the this, this Sears book. I'm in the back bedroom where, I, where my room was in our house where I grew up, my grandparents happened to be over that night for dinner. So after dinner, I get my hands on the book, I'm kind of thumbing through it, Right, thousands of options. It's, it's kind of fuzzy, but it says basically thousands of things to choose from. Right, At that time, it was like Amazon, right? there's the uh, equivalent, I guess. So here I am transfixed, page after page after page, and I have an idea. Hey, the grandparents are over. Let's make some magic happen here, right? (laughs) So here's what I say. Granny, please come here and bring your purse. (laughs) True story. Those are the exact words I said at five years old. Now, here's the thing. I'm thinking when grandma comes back here, if she brings her purse, she can whip out that magic checkbook Yes, checkbooks, for those of you who aren't familiar. She can get that pen, scribble on those numbers, tear it off, send it off wherever she needs to take it, mail it, etc. And soon enough, that just incredible gift of the Sears Christmas book, that item I couldn't live without, it would show up on my doorstep. Friends, the reason I tell you this story is because I was five years old, Right? the hold of possessions, the allure, the the magnetism, the, the need, the supposed need for things had already taken root. And I was just in kindergarten. It starts very, very early. Now, Zach asked me to come here today to share with you how our hearts, my wife and I and our family, how our lives have been completely transformed by generosity, all the things that we've learned about over the years through our study of Scripture, are, you know, researching this topic. What does, what does the Bible have to say about it? And like any good story of transformation, let's be real for a second, like any good story of transformation, it all begins with a female. Amen? <laughs> Amen? Okay, so this, this all begins with my bride. You see, when we were newly engaged and we started to talk about the future we hoped to build, we started to discuss amongst ourselves the principles we wanted to live by, how we wanted to to teach our kids, if we were going to have children in the future, what we wanted our family to stand for. Violet brought it to my attention. She said, you know, Brian, an area that we really need to look hard at that we really need to do a lot of self-study and and adopting new ways, probably, is when it comes to our finances. Right? Because let me tell you, both she and I, at that time, we might even have given ourselves a pat on the back for how generous we were with our time. We were both very avid into volunteering, right, and into uh, serving with different organizations, community groups, being out in the world, serving with our hands. But I'll be totally honest, guys, as generous as we were with our time, we were equally as tight in our pockets, right? As easy as it was for, to give of our hands, we couldn't give with our wallets. So as we started to dive into this topic, we started to read the scriptures, we started to research you know, what this was all about, generosity and Christianity, we realized a couple of things, right? First, we started to realize that it's not just money. You know, Zach, the first week of this series, he talked about how very often we can excuse our practices with money by just saying, you know, writing it off, essentially, saying, hey, you know, it's just a little bit of money, like, I only live once, don't worry about it, it's just, just money. Well, in our experience, If it were just money, why would it have been so hard to let go of? If it were just money in our experience, why would it often be the very hardest thing to relinquish control? If it were just money, friends, why would Jesus spend 16 of his 38 parables talking about wealth and possessions If it were just money, why would the Bible have 2,300 verses dealing with wealth and materialism? Right? It wasn't just money. It was so far from that. The other thing we started to learn is that, my gosh, our our entire orientation about money was off. Right? We were thinking to ourselves, well, how can we give? How can we start these practices of, of giving generously, giving of our, our resources, our finances, our money? But here's the problem, y'all. We kept calling it ours. We were already off on the wrong track. Zach has also been over that we really don't own anything, right? The, the famous line, you know, you've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it, right? We don't take anything with us. We bring nothing and we take nothing from this earth. We don't own anything. So the resources that we had and that we continue to have, we fundamentally have reoriented ourselves to understand those are gods. And here we are with the opportunity, with the privilege to steward those. To steward those on behalf of helping bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth, as we are called to do right? We don't own anything. So that was the reorientation of our framework, our mental framework, as we got into this this idea of we need to be more generous. We need to be more generous, okay? And by the way, by the way, why does giving even exist? Think about that for a second. Why does generosity even exist? I'll tell you what. Generosity is not for God, right? God doesn't need our money. Supposedly, what's our money, right? We have this opportunity to be generous for ourselves, for our hearts, for us to experience our God who gave everything. Our God is the ultimate giver. For us to fully experience our Savior, we get to put on those shoes of, of generosity. So, how do you do it? How did we get started? I know over the last several weeks, there have been uh, some of you who come to restore store that have asked those types of questions, specifically of Zach, and saying, how do we get the ball rolling? How do we dip our toes in this water? Where do we start? So, I want to give you essentially a five-part framework, what I would call the, the stages of Generosity. Okay and my encouragement our encouragement for you all today really is to just try. Right? So we're going to go through those five stages one at a time. How do you just try to round the corner, to turn the page, to adopt new ways of generous behavior with your with your money. All right, so the first way we're going to talk about is going from nothing to something. Nothing to something. Now like I said, you know, when we first met, we were almost at that beginning stage of of giving nothing financially. We, We were joking, Violet and I, as I was preparing to share with you today, remembering those moments, right? Even in church, when the offering plate was coming by and how hard it was to open up our wallet or our purse and to actually place that money in the plate, right? The, the, angst that that caused us at the time. Now, here's the thing. We had every excuse under the sun that we thought was, I guess, reasonable. Right? We both had student debt. And by the way, a lot of it. (laughs) Like, a lot, a lot of it. (laughs) Here we are trying to establish ourselves on some sort of firm foundation as a family. Right? Hoping that we might have... Children like the beautiful girls we have today, hoping that we could perhaps start saving for buying a home in this crazy real estate town of Austin, Texas, right? There are a lot of competing priorities for our finances, and so we thought that these were legitimate reasons. But how do we get from nothing to something? Well, we started to give it a try. Just, just Even if you have to just do a little bit just to get yourself going, right? A dollar here. $5 there, $10, whatever, the number doesn't matter, y'all. What matters is that your heart centered on God, knowing that you're, you're trying, you're, you're really trying earnestly to move into this stage, this new phase of life of generosity from within. So, any amount, it really doesn't matter. But this is our encouragement go from nothing to something, and that will really get that snowball rolling down the hill you won't go back. Our experience is that we would never even consider going back. All right, so the second stage then is going from something to significant generosity. Something to significant generosity. Now, what, what are we going to really talk about when we say the word significant? Well, here's where it got really downright scary, okay? I'm telling you, I remember when Violet and I first started to put forward, bring back, return to, return to God's kingdom, to the church. We started to return our resources in a significant way. It was truly downright scary. That's how firm a grip, that's how hard a hold money had on our lives. I mean, it's like a picture in my brain, you know, clicking that submit button on the website You know, letting this money come back. And I remember it scared the daylights out of me for all the reasons I already named about the competing priorities in our lives at that time. So significant. What is significant generosity financially? For us, our experience, this is just our story, is that we adopted that practice of tithing. That was our way to really jump in, you know, with full force, so to speak, in in going from nothing to something to significant generosity. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you about tithing. Zach mentioned it a couple few weeks ago. There are a lot of competing ideas about how to, say, calculate tithes and what's really your increase and, you know, what is the traditional number of like 10% and all that. Throw that out the window for a second. Here's our encouragement to you, our experience with this practice. Here's the bottom line on tithing for us. Round up, round way up. We found ourselves asking those questions, like you know the ones I just named. And the answer, of course, is already there. The fact that we're asking the question in the first place means we know what's true and correct to do. We know where our hearts are. Jesus tells us where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Or maybe the reverse. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? It's very self-evident, it's very clear. For us, that practice of tithing was how we got to significant generosity, how those chains of money began to be broken. All right, so that's the third one. Or, I'm sorry, the second. So now the third will be going from significant generosity to systematic generosity. Now here again, for us, the practice of tithing really helped us round that corner. Systematic generosity, Here's what's really the thing, for, for us at least, with systematic generosity. So if you go onto Restore's website, and you see the, the big button that says Give, and you click on that button Give, which, by the way, Zach, it still says Give, you might want to change that to say Return or Bring Back, if we're adopting this new mindset. But anyway, so you go to the website, you click that button, here's what happens. It immediately redirects you to a a different landing page through our partner, our company partner called PushPay, right? Some of you, I'm sure a number of you actually, have accounts with PushPay through which you give financially to restore. Here's my beef with PushPay. Okay, and it's nothing against, of course, the church, nothing against PushPay really, it's just, here's our thing. When you go to that landing page, the default setting it has you on when everything populates, the default setting is that it has you on recurring giving. Now you say, well, Brian, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what we realized when we first started our tithing practice. It would be so disappointing to us. It would be so disappointing to us. If we were to return financial resources to God's kingdom in the same type of way that we pay our electric bill, right? Automation in the background, lack of thought, no deliberate effort. It's just happening on autopilot. It's been however many years now we've been at Restore, we still don't even have an account with PushPay. Right, we've deliberately every single time, like clockwork, it's a, it's a recurring calendar reminder for us. It's a great recentering, squaring your shoulders up on God every time we receive any type of resource. To go to that website, just click give one time. But here's the thing before we get to the end of that process to hit submit, the most important part of all this for, for us in our experience has been to deliberately think about, to earnestly pray and call upon God, hope and and, and ask the Lord to take these offerings we so gladly and joyously bring forth and to put them to work better than we ever could ourselves. Right? You know, about our church, we have so many phenomenal community partners, nonprofit organizations doing extraordinary things in our community and all over the world. And some of the most special times of prayer that we have ever had have been prior to submitting a donation on our website. I'm thinking back to you know, certain instances, say like a year ago, when we had the, the terrible winter storm that came through. Right? Thousands of people, if not tens of thousands of people, without power. And the way that the church was able to respond and deploy resources, meet immediate needs. I remember praying before we hit submit on the, on the donation that we were giving forth for that. Right? I remember praying when we have a, a support, restore, supporting the, the resettlement of refugees in our community. People who were fleeing from abroad extreme danger for their families. I remember praying about our donations for those who have been victims of of sexual and physical violence. And my friends, the thing about it is, the way that we've been able to do that, it's never about the money. It's always about our heart. It's always about how close we feel to God, how close we feel like we are a part of God's kingdom here while we're here. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So for us, this systematic giving, the systematic returning of our money and bringing forth, bringing back, it really wouldn't have the value it has for us unless it was not done part and parcel with our prayer lives if it existed on its own, it just wouldn't be nearly the same. And like I said, it's provided some of the most special, tender, amazing moments of of peace with God and our family. Now, the last stage then from systematic is to sacrificial. Sacrificial generosity. I'll tell you, before we actually... I would say officially joined the Church of Restore, Violet and I had been, I guess, church shopping, right? Like a lot of people call it church shopping. We had been doing that for quite some time. We had been at a previous church and it was time to, to move on to another one. And so we were just very early on in our start of this tithing practice. And so we're like, oh my gosh, well, what are we going to do if we don't have a home church? What are we going to do with these resources?" you know, returning on a, on a consistent basis. What do we do with that? And what was impressed upon us at the time is that what would be really uh, ideal in that situation was to simply set it aside dutifully and, and, like I said, just recurring as we were, set it aside and to bless, to bless the church, that whatever church it was going to be, that we were going to call home soon enough. So that's what we started to do. Right? we started to set these resources aside. By the way, fully well knowing, feeling, and loving the fact that they were not ours. They were not ours. So here's what happened. The weeks started to go by, right? And we're visiting various churches. Well, then the months started to go by. Pretty soon, six months went by. It was almost a year's time before Violet and I stopped right here and said, this is our church home. Now, you might imagine the money, it accumulated a little bit over a year's time, right? Well, by the time we were ready to fully dedicate ourselves here at Restore, it had become a a sum of money. But we, I mean, it was burning a hole in our pockets. It was bothering us. It was literally bothering us every week that we still had this in our custody. And so it was a really joyous day. I remember we wrote that check that morning, folded it in two, put it in my pocket. And it was just after a service, just after like this, in a very brief moment, nondescript, no hoopla, none of that, we were able to approach Zach and just say, please take this for the church. My friends, we had never written a check for that kind of money the, the amount of money we were able to bring forth that day was more than she or I had given in our entire lives combined and we couldn't have been happier we couldn't have been happier you see it's funny because when I was preparing for this today now that we have these two little ones. I realized, I realized for the first time, I told them, I said, look, do you realize what that kind of money, say the growing in time as an investment or for the girls, you know, education or something like that, do you realize what that could have done? And we kind of laugh about it, like, yeah, perhaps it could have, right? But here's the thing, even if we had thought about that, even if we had thought about that at the time, it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered at all because we had turned the page. Thank God that we had rounded the corner. That stronghold of money no longer had us. It no longer had us. This of course is in relation to what Zach had talked about with only taking what you need. Only taking what you need. Now, the bonus, my friends, the bonus to this opportunity for just trying it is to be regularly sacrificial, regularly sacrificial. This is really the epitome of generosity in our eyes. And we are so far from perfect with this, so far from it. But what an awesome adventure to to, to try to attain that. What an awesome existence to be attuned to these opportunities that God gives us every day. So this is what I call the stages of generosity. And, and our encouragement, like I said, is to just try it on. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, this has been our experience. OK, now, another thing that we wanted to share with you is about what has really happened for us and our family since we've done these things. And just as we talked about, it's not just money. Just I'm saying, just try it. Here's another one for you. Just see how God goes to work in your life and in your heart. The eagerness, the anticipation, the happiness, the excitement that we have every two weeks. When we get to sit down and pray and and consider and, and hope for the good that these resources can do. Right? or the ways in which we find ways to be generous, that God opens the doors along our path to show us where we can help meet needs, to be a source of joy for someone else. I'll tell you, I learned a lesson about this from, from someone in the audience here this morning. We have a friend here who told me a story recently I wanted to share with you. He has no idea I'm gonna share it. You see, he's eating lunch at a, at a, a deli, just a, a kind of a casual deli with a friend. And so between the two of them, the lunch is maybe $25, $30. But the waitress, I guess maybe they had overheard a conversation the waitress was having back in with a coworker about some challenges in her life at the time. So about the time it's ready, they're ready to go, ready to leave, he tells his friend, he says, look, I think we should leave this waitress a really nice tip. And so his friend's like, OK, great. Like, what do you mean, maybe $50, $100, perhaps? You know what he says? He says, no, I think we should change a life. I think we should change a life. I was thinking more like 500. Or the time when my wife Violet was coming out of the HEB, and she felt led by the Spirit. There were no no outward or apparent reasons for it, but she felt called, to give a lady $100 in the parking lot. Didn't need to know her story, didn't need to know anything about her circumstances, but was trying to listen to where God was leading her, and that's what she did. Or the time recently when I was actually in an Uber, an Uber car. I got picked up from my house, I was going a short distance, four or five miles, and this is actually just prior to me going on a plane trip a couple of days later. Now, I'm pretty old school, y'all. I, Admittedly, I don't even have Venmo. I'm a millennial, but I don't have Venmo, never have. So when I'm traveling, I actually like to try to have some, some cash, some dollars in my possession just as sort of backup or emergency money. And so that's what I had I'm in this Uber car. So the gentleman that picks me up turns out, as we're making small talk with our masks and all that, He's from San Antonio. He tells me that he actually drives up every single day from San Antonio. So he's telling me about his routine, his daily schedule. He says, yeah, so I wake up at 4, and I give God 4 to 5, and then I drive up to Austin, and I drive for about 12 hours. And I stopped him right there. I said, wait, hold on a minute, my friend. Hold on. Did you just say you wake up at 4 a.m.? You give God, you devote yourself in the word for the first hour, and then you drive 100 miles north to work 12 hours before driving 100 miles back every day? He said, yes. You know what he said then? He said, he got, this is what he said. If I can't give God my first, then I know I'm not giving him my best. If I can't give God my first, then I know I'm not giving him my best. So we get to our destination. I pull up my wallet. Like I said, I I wanted to give him a cash tip. It was such a moving experience. So I open my wallet, and I'm about to reach in to grab the first bills in the front there. And so my left hand is going toward my wallet, and I swear I felt like like a lightning bolt through my hand. I mean, I was just almost there, and then just my hand retracted back. And I had this lightning bolt idea run through me and just said this. It said, no, no, no. You give this man your best. You give this man your your very best. So I grabbed that money. I give it to this man. Set it on the console where his hand was. Like I said, we've got masks. He turns around, turns his body around. He looks at me. He's got tears coming down both eyes. He says to me, no one has ever loved me like that. He says, no one has ever loved me like that. You know what I said? I said, my friend, it's not me. It's not me. It's the Lord. Friends, what generosity has done for us and our family. Remember that Sears story I told you about the five-year-old already clutched to the idea of possessions? It has completely transformed, completely transformed. How we see the world, how we see people, how we view resources that we used to call our own, And how we want to participate in helping to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth as we're called to do. So, as you and your experience, no matter where you are in your generosity journey, as you pray about this, as you move forward from this sermon series, thinking about how you can be more generous, I want to ask you to keep a few questions, a few questions in mind. And the first one actually comes from a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley. Some of you may know Andy, and this is what Andy says. Do you have money? Or does it have you? Do you have money? Or does money have you? It had us. It had us really bad. I also want you to ask yourselves, where are you devoting? Where are you devoting the first of your resources? And to whom, to whom are you giving your best? My friends, you step forward with generous joy and into what we heard about last week 1 Timothy chapter 6 step forward into the life that is truly life let us pray Dear God, we invite you into this room, God. We invite you into this room with our friends, with our family. We invite you further into our heart as you stir us toward your ways. We ask you for this to be a turning point in our lives, a turning point in how we have a relationship with financial resources. Our relationship with how we're called by our faith to help live out your word, to bring your kingdom of heaven here to earth. God, no matter where we are in our personal generosity journeys, what stage we may find ourselves, we know that we can do amazing things, that you can do amazing things. God, we ask ourselves not what really we as individuals might do, but what you might do through us. God, we pray eagerly and earnestly as we know that we want to serve you. Jesus tells us we cannot serve both God and money. We want to serve you, God. Hold us in your warm and loving arms. Blanket us in your grace. As we learn more about and put into practice what it means to be a small part of helping steward your kingdom here on earth. Thank you for the teaching lessons as you of the ultimate giver, that who gave it all, who put on the humble flesh of a human being and showed us what giving is really all about, what sacrificial giving is all about, Meet us where we are, Lord, and lay out the path. We're ready. Amen.